go today to John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, so it's kind of towards the back again. Um, and we've been doing this kind of ongoing series, uh, or this short little series, excuse me. We've been doing this kind of short little series on what we believe as a church. And we kind of do those things at the start of every year. Uh, it's not like our vision for the year. It's not any of those kind of things. Not that I'm calling that weird or wrong. But our focus is just to stop and rethink, okay, who we are. When we, we're not analyzing what does church mean necessarily and all those things, but what do we mean um, when we say our values as a church at Salt River Community Church. So our values here as a church uh, are love, truth, and mission. And those are the things we're looking at. So we looked at uh, truth last week, and we've been asking this question, Why? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why, why as a church does Salt River prioritize these uh, particular things? And let me say this. This is off script, but I'm thinking about it because uh, today I had a conversation. or not, not today. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about it today because this week I had a conversation with a guy at a gas station. Uh, I just ran into him. He was wearing a bunch of Tennessee stuff. He even had a license tag that said Rocky Top, which was crazy, but it was an Arizona tag. <laughs> So I got, he's about my age, and I got in a conversation with him for a long time. It was a really great conversation standing in front of a propane tank at a shell station. But um, anyway, before it was over, I gave him a card about coming to church because we got on the conversation of church for a minute. Um, and they have attended places in the past. But in any event, he looked at the card, and he said, um, community church. He says, well, I'm guessing you're non-denominational. And... I said, well, not exactly, and he he assumed because we have that name that I'm dodging the fact that we're Baptist or from Baptist background or in a Baptist uh, line of faith. And, and I told him, I said, I get hung up with denominations. They get annoying. I'm right there with you. But I also believe in who we are as Baptists. But the reason that we chose community in the name is because we want it to reflect community. We want people to feel like we're not a Baptist church first or Methodist church or power church or whatever the words are, you know. We are a community church. We want people to feel like this is some church that can belong to us as a community. And we want to feel like, we want the community to feel like we belong to them um, as well. So, you know, you take like Patricia who lives right down the street um, and sometimes rides her bike, which is awesome. We want people to feel like they could walk here if they want to. And I know some of us travel, myself included, a little farther. But anyway, that's where the name community comes from. And having talked to him about it, I thought, you know what, maybe I ought to bring that up while we're talking about why we believe what we believe. Also, if you want to know like everything about us as a church... Like everything, you want to know everything, every question you can think of as far as a church that we are, come talk to me. I will answer them all uh, as best I can. Anyway, I can tell you everything I know about who we are as a church and what we believe. Uh, you can also find a lot about who we are and what we believe on the website. But anyway, what we're focusing on is these truths or these three core values. So last week we talked about truth and the why was why trust the Bible. So this week the why is why love unconditionally? Truth, love, mission. Um, so this week is love. Why love unconditionally, that being the word? It may seem like it's no big deal when you consider the word unconditionally, though. 
If you really think about that word, this becomes a pretty fair question to ask. Unconditionally is, is a heavy word. For instance, if your spouse or your child was harmed or killed in a horrible way, um, would you be able to love the one who did it? Well, if not, then you just put a condition on it. Now, I don't say that lightly because Molly and I have been through exactly that. So I, I am not saying that in some kind of bubble. It's happened in our family, and I feel the weight of it. But that's what we're going to talk about today. I've brought this up before, and I don't know if I, if you've all heard it or not, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but it's such a good point to make that I want to use this again. Uh, in West Africa, and I'm not using the name of the place because these videos go online, and it's highly unlikely, but just in case. In West Africa, uh, in the nation that we support as a church, um, I, years ago, uh, met a young man who, to cut to the chase, gave his life to Christ. Uh, I'm going to call him M. Okay? So M gave his life to Christ in a very powerful, dramatic way. In this country, that's an illegal thing to do. Um, not just against the law, but it could get him killed. It could get his family killed. It could cost his dad his job. It, it could have incredible ramifications for him to do that. But he did. Um and I asked him because we were, myself, the translator, we were so blown by the fact that this guy just made this decision that I asked him, you know, how did he come to this understanding of who Jesus was? And he said he'd been searching for the truth for nine years. So this is a quick reminder, by the way, I didn't do anything. I just happened to be the one there when this happened. So we like to say, I led him to Christ. Not necessarily. Christ came for him. I just was the one present that Christ gave the opportunity to be there with. Okay? So in any event, he is, uh, I asked him this. He said he'd been looking for who Jesus is for nine, or excuse me, looking for the truth for nine years. And his search, though, and this is why I bring it up. His search was triggered by this. He got involved in prison work. Okay? Uh, which that's kind of the link how we met. All right, over there, because that's what I did, and that's kind of what my reason for being there was. And this man, M, said he got involved because of prison work, and he said he found that he loved these inmates. And he was, and, and, and in this country, this particular country I'm referring to, uh, even God hates the inmates. Uh, if you break the law and you go to prison, you're pretty much cut off from your family and God and everybody. You're considered, depending on your crime, you're considered damned already. So the fact that he not only was there, but found himself, these are his words now, loving these guys, uh, he couldn't understand why. He was like, I don't understand why I feel love for these guys when nobody else does. And he said, so I figured it must come from somewhere else, the love that I have for them, because nobody else has it. So it must come from someone else, somewhere else. And if it comes from somewhere else, it must come from God. And this was the question that he asked, and I'll never forget it. He said, who is the God who loves the unlovable? Nine years later, he realized that was Jesus. Now, his story, there's a lot that went on in there. Um, but that's the question that we're talking about. Who's the God who loves the unlovable? Uh, my one little sentence, I always give you one, it's just a light post, it is not scripture, but it helps us keep our mind around what we're looking for or at in scripture. It's uh, I wrote this, Jesus tells us to love unconditionally, 
Because it's the best expression of God's presence and reality in our lives. Jesus tells us to love unconditionally because it's the best expression, visualization, proof maybe, of God's presence and reality in our lives. So look at the verse. We're John 13. Uh, verse 34 uh, says, a new commandment, some key words here, a new commandment I give you, excuse me, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple if, if, if you have Love for one another. In two sentences, two verses, love for one another three times. Uh, if you've heard a sermon preached before on the, you know, love in the New Testament, there's always a discussion of how the Greek, because the New Testament's written in Greek, how the Greeks had different words for love. And it just pretty much translates love in English and that's it. But they had different words for love. And the funny thing is, we're really the same way in English. You don't have to go to Greek to really see that. We do the same thing. For instance, if I said I love spicy food, which is very true, that would, would that be the same as I say, I love you, Molly, my wife? No chance. I just use the same word. But obviously, I don't mean that the love I have for my wife is equal to uh, Kung Pao chicken. You know what I mean? Uh, to say that. I love you, bro. You know, if I go over to the coach over here, give him the big slap, and we, you know, bump shoulders, man, I love you, bro. That ain't the same as when I look at my grandbaby like I did around Christmas and say, oh, my gosh, I love you so much. It's not the same. Is it, are all of those cases love? Yes. I do mean love in all of those cases. But. I don't mean to imply that they're all exactly the same. Understanding what I mean when I say I love you is largely determined by who or what I'm talking about. Right? So when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to being his disciples, all of those things, we are to love without a doubt. He just said so. Not only that, we're to be known by love. That's what he said. People will know. That's the identifier. We're to be known by love. And because the object of our love is all, then it has to be unconditional. Known by all. I mean, we, it has to be unconditional. It does not have to be the same kind of love for all, but it must be recognized in order for verse 35. Look at verse 35. By this, all people will know. In order for that to be the case, it has to be unconditional. I know that's what Jesus has in mind because of a few places, but I'll take you to one right away. John 15. You could turn over a few pages. It'll be on the screens, though. John 15, verse 18. Jesus telling these same guys that he just said this to, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. Now he's talking about love before, now he's talking about hate. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I, Jesus, chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. If 
Jesus is telling them their love for others is in the context of being hated and persecuted, then the choice to love is not based on reciprocation. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on attraction. It's not based on any condition that we might attempt to put on it. It can't be. What condition are we going to say is causing us to love? It can't, it can't be. It's a choice. In fact, it's a command. Look, look, in verse 34, John 13, 34, a new what? Commandment I give you. Think about that a second now. Can you command someone to love? Our immediate answer to that is no. But that's exactly what he's doing. That's what he says. Uh, By the way, side note, that also identifies a little bit about who Jesus is. If he's giving commandments. Little side note. Look at verse 35. By this, he said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. So your identity as a disciple of Christ is known to all by this. If, if you have love for one another. It is an option, but it is the option that identifies you as a disciple of Christ. Love is clearly the evidence of being a disciple. So if there's no love, you're not a disciple. Let's start right there. If there's no love, you're not a disciple. And if you don't see it displayed, then you're questionably a disciple. Regardless of your theological background, regardless of your theological education, regardless of the times you've been in church, regardless of the church you grew up in, regardless of how many Sunday school classes you sat through, regardless of all of those things, regardless of how many of those things might be in your life, if love is not displayed in you, then it's questionable. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's questionable. That's because it truly requires God's presence to love unconditionally. And, and this is heavy, but it's the truth. You may say, well, that's not true. But that's because you're thinking about your spouse or you're thinking about your kids or you're thinking about those things. But again, you're adding a condition, the importance of the person in your life or the position of the person in your life. Think about people who you don't agree with. Think about people, let's get, you know, I don't know, pick one. Think about people in government that you feel like are ruining this country, and they're going to ruin it, and they're going to destroy it, and that's going to be the end of it. And I, I'm listen, I'm not identifying one or the other here. I'm just saying we all got opinions, right? So think about those people, even if they really are the corrupt criminal that you believe them to be. What if they are? So let's take that person. Would you? Would people, not them, Would others categorize you as the kind of person that I would really hope you get to meet that government official one day? I really hope you do because I know you would love them. Not love what they do, not love all that, but I know that you would show love to them even though you completely and fully disagree with them. Or are you the kind of person where those around you would be like, man, I hope he never runs into him. 
Or I hope she never runs into him because the hate that's going to come out of his mouth or her mouth for that one particular person. But I'm going to be fair. Like, how are you able to do that? How are you able to do that? It's not possible. It's impossible. And that would be correct. That's the entire point of this passage. It requires God. That's the point. That's the evidence of God in your life. That you love somebody that you should not love. You know, I, I remember a woman that uh, we I got in a conversation about this because somebody reminded me of it this past week. Nobody y'all know, but somebody from my past. But I remember a woman a couple of decades back that all but hitchhiked, Molly remembers, but all but hitchhiked to get away from a uh, retreat that I led for college students. And there was a large group there, but this one particular who was not a believer at all, uh, but was welcome there. But she all but hitchhiked to get her way because we brought this topic of love up. And I made the point that apart from a relationship with God, it, it's impossible to completely, truly love. Well, she was not having any part of that. She clearly disagreed to the point that I mean, we didn't even argue. She just like, I'm out of here. And all, like I said, all but hitchhiked out. But listen, God defines himself by love. He defines them. If that's true, then we got to admit that we can't know love completely if we don't know him. And the same author, John, who wrote what we're reading here, uh, John also wrote in another letter, 1 John chapter 4, he says this, verse 7. You can just note it. It'll be on the screen. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's what defines him. It doesn't mean that God is a feeling or an expression. It means that love is the presence of God. It is the essence of of what comes from God. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, he, he became living in our presence. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Key, key, key. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Just hold that thought for a second right there in your brain. Don't rush over that. Not that we love God. He loved us. And not only that, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That big word propitiation means to bear the penalty for our sin. Think about that a minute. Not not that we loved him. He loved us enough to send his son to bear the penalty for our sin. Now, I don't know where that sits with you. But if you know what it feels like to to own your sin, to feel the weight of your sin then that's unreal. That's unconditional love without any condition at all. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's unconditional love. And listen, if you think... Unconditional is still a pretty strong word. Or loving a corrupt politician. 
or loving a, a, a somebody who's gay or transgender or violent or whatever, like loving those people, if you think that's still a stretch or still asking a lot or loving somebody who's hurt your family, you think that's still asking a lot, Jesus pushes it to the maximum. I'll give you some verses you can note on Matthew 5, verse 43. You already know them more than likely. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, that statement is crazy. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, does God have a special loving relationship with Courtney? One hundred percent. But God loves everybody in this city enough to provide sun, rain, sustenance for life, those kind of things. There's a sense of love even in that. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do that. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles do that. Everybody, you know, greeting the people you like, everybody does that. Loving the people who love you, whoopee. Where's God in that? That's no display of God. Everybody does that. No, there's nothing supernatural in that. Verse 27 of Luke chapter 6. Parallel passage. So that was Matthew's recording. This is a parallel recording from Luke. Luke says in chapter 6 verse 27. Quoting Jesus again. Jesus speaking. I say to you who hear. Which means not everybody. Gets it. That's what hear means. It doesn't mean that. He's not saying that. Uh, only the people who are present and hear this. He's saying, if you understand what I'm saying, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate. Do good to those who hate you. I mean, Jesus just keeps making this more and more impossible. Bless those who curse you. Pray, Pray for those who abuse you. Now, I realize when I bring that word abuse up, there's a whole nother trail over here. I get that. Jesus is not saying, nor does the Bible teach, that you need to sit and get abused. Didn't say remain in your place and allow that person to continue to abuse you. It said pray for those who abuse you. You need to get out of a situation that's trying to hurt you. You in a situation where I don't care if it's a spouse, I don't care if it's a, a, a son, daughter, I don't, I don't care what it is. If you are suffering some form of abuse, man, come holler at me. I will stand right beside you. I mean that. Josh will. We will. I mean it. So I'm not saying, and neither is the Bible, that you're supposed to just stay there and be abused. But what it does say is you need to pray for that person. You may wish they'd die in a fire. But he's saying, pray for him. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unkind, to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Translation. If you think this is impossible, if you think it's wrong, Jesus did it. 
the father did it. The one who had most reason not to do it, did it. My point is this. To love unconditionally is a blood loving a crip. Even while the crip is still a proud crip and one who hates the bloods. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not possible. Why love your enemies then? Why do it? Why is he saying this? Because, man, it's the biggest proof of who Jesus is. And guess what? They need Jesus. They're lost. They're blind. They're deaf. They're filled with sin, just like you were. You know, Jesus saved you, man. You were the same way. Maybe you weren't beating somebody. Maybe you weren't whatever, the, you know, killing people, whatever it is. You want to go down my list of sins? I'm not ashamed to talk about it. You want to go down my list of sins? Short of murder? I think I got them all checked. And Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you've murdered. So there's a high likelihood that in a sense I've done that at some point too. I'm not saying this to brag on my sin. I'm saying it to say, before I look at somebody else and say, man, you're, you're, you're the worst. Yeah, well, so was I. So was I. I might have camouflaged it. I might have hidden it. Most of it might have been things only I know, but so what? So what? He loved me. He saved me. Because... Somebody loved the unlovable enough to make sure I knew. I guarantee you there's people in my past that wish I would die in a fire. May not know who I am or where I am now. I don't know. But I guarantee you I had enemies. Having the Holy Spirit inside us. That's the only way it's possible. That's the only way. He loved us while we were still sinners. He forgave us while we were still sinners. He pursued us while we were his enemies. And he went to a cross. And it's having that Holy Spirit inside you that makes it possible for you to love people that everybody in the world would justify you hating completely. You know? Um, And I, I think about you know, my, many of y'all know, I've been through divorce decades ago before Molly and I were together. I committed adultery. I'm not ashamed to say it because God's forgiven me for that. And it's part of my past and my testimony now. But it happened uh, decades ago. But that woman came to know the Lord and started praying for me. And as a result of her Praying for me, it broke me into a million pieces. How could this woman that I had done these horrible things to pray for me? Uh, in the process of praying for me, she ended up meeting Molly, who Molly had no idea who I was really at the time. And Molly began praying for me, having no idea that one day we would be married. It's amazing what God does. But it became from somebody loving an enemy in a manner of speaking. Um, let me clarify one thing, though, that's mixed up in our world more now than ever, okay? More now than ever. In fact, I was part of a discussion on this this past week. But love is not automatically all-inclusive. 
Let me get two things out and I'll explain. Number one, love is not automatically all-inclusive. And love doesn't mean tolerance of anything and everything. It does not mean that. At times, love is exclusive. At times, love is intolerant. And it should be. For example, I chose to love Molly at the expense of all other women on the planet. Do I love other women? Sure, but not like I love Molly. That kind of love belongs to her and her only, and that was my choice to do so. So that kind of love is exclusive. And at times, love is intolerant. What do I mean by that? I mean that love confronts confronts sin. I love you enough to help you out here. This is wrong. This is not going to work. This is not healthy. This is not good for you. Uh, give you a verse, Hebrews 12, verse 5. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, have you forgotten the uh, exhortation that addresses you as sons? He, he quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 here. This is a quote from another place in the Bible in Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he what? Loves. And chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 8 says, If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you're not sons of God. Verse 11, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Love confronts sin. Love embraces people in order to see people grow, change, mature, become healthy, become free of sin. Uh, If you were a drug addict, as I have been years ago, and you walked into a rehab center and they said, we love you, we love you, what can we get for you? Heroin, crack, what exactly is it that will make you most happy? Uh, You be you. We're glad you're you. We don't want you to not be you. We want you to be the you you've always wanted to be. So what is it we can give you out of love to make sure that you remain you? And they say, no, 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 I don't want any of that. I want to be free. I don't want drugs. Okay, great, man. Come over here and sit down. We will give you no drugs. Here's your bed. Man, you make yourself comfortable. Uh, we're glad that we're happy that you want to be drug free. We're proud of the you you want to be and the drug free you want to be until they start to go through withdrawals and now they want it again. Okay, great. Well, we got the lineup ready for you because we want you to be the you you want to be. So what drugs is it now you're ready to have? We'll provide them for you so you can be happy because we love you. That is not love. That is not love in any way, shape or form. Love says, man, I'm going to suffer with you if I have to. I'm going to let you call me every name in the book. I'm going to let you hit me. I'm going to let you cuss at me. I'm going to let you fight and kick and scream, but but I am going to fight to get you clean because I know that's what you want. That That's love. That's love. It is not always tolerant of everything. Let's wrap it up here pretty quick. Verse 34. In John 13, back in John 13, verse 34, he said, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How did Jesus love? 
John 15, same book, again, back to John 15, where he's talking about the world hating and, and all that. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, the same thing as I've loved you. And he says this, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Lay down his life. Well, that's a big ask. What, did Jesus do that? 100%. Romans 5, 7 one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us, us, not just Paul, us, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What he's saying is that, hey, man, somebody may die for a guy they think is worth dying for. Like this dude is a solid, good, godly person. He's a righteous person. She is a godly woman. She is right. We need to do whatever we can to preserve. And if I have to die for her, I will because she's earned that. She's great. She's whatever. And then he says, but but maybe you might find a person or two that would die for this kind of like, well, he's a good dude. You know, it seems like he's all right. I mean, he struggles like all of us do. I mean, yeah, she's got her problems, but she's pretty good or whatever. But what he's saying is God said, no, I'm going to go to the one that hates me. I'm going to go to the junkie on the street that nobody knows is even alive and could care less if they died tomorrow. And is spitting at God for making them that way. I'm going to go to that guy. Because I love him. Because I love her. So clearly, my point is, love is a choice. It's clearly a choice. It's not just extreme happiness. Feelings of love may grow. Yeah. That might happen. Those love feelings that we call them, they might develop. Um, but we may have to fight bitterness and resentment. and It may go the other way. But it's a choice. It's a decision we make. Love is always something that serves. Love is always something that costs. It's sacrificial. It's not love if it's not those things. But we can choose to do them. Love also tells the truth. Not in arguments or attacks. Like I talked last week about what the word said. Perfect perfect peace. Imperfect patience. Excuse me, not peace. Perfect patience. Complete patience. Loving that way. And if they resent us, guess what? We choose to keep on loving them, praying for them, displaying Christ's love to them. You know, in Jesus' day, much like in ours, he was challenged to define his ministry by modern events. Everybody kept trying to come at him. Stand up to Rome. Do something about Rome. Straighten out these Pharisees and Sadducees, the right and the left. The conservatives and the uh, liberal, which that's literally what the two of them were with the religious world. Like, straighten them out. Get all these things figured out. And instead, Jesus said, give to Caesar was Caesar's. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Jesus washed feet. He touched the sick. He touched the diseased. You know, he, he cared for the adulterer. He hugged the prostitute. You know, he told the truth about sin. He spoke frequently about hell, more about hell than about love. It's in there. Go read it. He spoke about the truth. And that's what we're supposed to do as his disciples.
That is exactly what we're supposed to do. Not turn or burn, shouting hate and all that stuff. We're supposed to be touching the sick. Man, Jesus loves you. I know you may not feel like that, but I'm telling you, he does. You know, we need to be serving the weak, loving people who appear to be unlovable. You know, people should see us as disciples and say, you know what? I don't know what all they do, but I know they love people. You know, I know that they love people, even those who seem unlovable. But we don't just leave them there. We tell them the truth. Uh, Let me close with this. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read, there's several of them, but a book on martyrs. But a book that tells the story of martyrs in different cases. Uh, I highly recommend one. I mean, there's a bunch. You can ask me. Fox Book of Martyrs is a classic, but the Jesus Freaks books are really good too. Um, But read any of those stories of martyrs throughout time and what they go through. And I ask myself all the time, could I do that? Could I, could I do that? And I'm not talking about just becoming a martyr. That's not what I'm talking about. I become a martyr. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about could I love someone who wanted to torture and kill me and maybe my family enough to tell them who Jesus is? Do you understand the balance here? I'm going to kill you if you talk to me about Jesus. Well, you need to know Jesus loves you. In order for me to tell you that, I have to accept that you're going to torture and kill me. No, nobody can. Nobody would do that. Nobody can do that unless there's a supernatural love inside of you that would go to those people anyway, knowing that they are going to potentially torture and kill you and your family if you have a family there. But you understand for some reason that those very people need Jesus. And the only way they're going to hear about Jesus is if somebody tells them. So you accept the fact that your murder and torture might be possible in order to tell them that Jesus loves them. That's mind-blowing. That is unconditional love. That's a choice. A choice. Would people say you love that way? I want you to think about it this week. And you guys can stand up with me and we're going to finish up. But would people say that about you? Do, you? do you feel like people would say, I've been asking myself this too. Do you feel like people would say, yeah, man, David loves people, man. He just loves being around people. He loves talking to people. He loves people. Like, do you feel like people look at you that way? Man, Molly's one to call because... Molly loves people. Like, she'd do anything for you. She may not know you, but she'd do it. I don't know if that's what categorizes you, but it should be. If it's not, it might be time to think about changing some things in your life. And that doesn't mean studying the Bible more. That means getting on your knees before the Lord and then getting around people. Spending time with people. Find some people you don't, you already know you don't like. Or that frighten you. I don't know what what that may mean. Homeless, uh, retirement home, whatever it is. I don't know. Put yourself in a category or an environment you're not comfortable in and just go do it. Just go find a way to be in that environment for a minute and, and allow Jesus to work on your heart. How do I talk to these people? How do I speak to these? Might be at work. Do you talk to people at work? Believe that you love them. Do people in this church believe that you love them? 
Does your family believe that you love them? I mean, I'm taking shots at myself here too, FYI. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us be the kind of people who love unconditionally, God. I really mean that. Help us all be the kind of people who reflect you as disciples who follow you. Lord, we can only do that because you loved us. I, I really just, the gospel blows my mind over and over and over again. The grace of you to come to me is mind-blowing. Lord, the fact that you would look down on someone as sinful as myself and say I'm worth it. Say, I love you. Let me prove that. So you'd go to a cross It could have been any instrument of torture. That was the instrument of torture of the day. Lord, you came to people who were ready to torture and kill you. And you embraced that because those people needed to know that you loved them. Lord, and if that wasn't enough, you conquered the grave. Because our biggest enemy is death. And this body might get shed, and I really hope it does because it hurts frequently. But I know that my life belongs to you. And nothing can take that. Lord, I pray if there's people in this room that have not made the choice to surrender to you, they do it today. God, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.